All right, Revelation chapter 2. That's going to be reading one verse of Scripture this morning. But I'll have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you today for your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the Word of God that's given to us, preserved, and given to us to be able to behold God in the face of Jesus Christ through the pages of Scripture. We know that everything from Genesis to the Revelation is all written. The volume of the book is written of Christ. Father, as we open these pages each week, or as in our homes each day, to study them, I pray, Father, that you might continue to help us to learn of Christ, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that's no different this morning. We pray that you might meet with us this morning and that you might show us Christ. May we honor him and glorify him as we have gathered here this morning to worship him for the life that he has given for us, the death that he has uh, taken for us, the obedience that he has uh, made on our behalf, the righteousness that has been imputed to us that is his. All these things, Father, the glorious nuggets of the gospel, what beautiful things that they are to the child of grace and to the ears of those who are quickened. And so, Father, Lord, we are thankful today that we are here today, gathered in your name, and we just pray, Lord, that you would honor your Son by helping us, by the Spirit, to worship you, to put forth truth, help me from error, to give understanding to these brethren, and may it feed their soul. And again, we pray that Christ will be honored and glorified in all that we do, in Jesus' name that we pray. Alright, Revelation chapter 2, I'm only going to read one verse of scripture here, and as I just uh, mentioned it before we went live on the live stream, uh, this book is called Revelation, The Revelation, it's not Revelations, plural, it's The Revelation. Uh, now the headings in your Bible, you know, I'm not, I don't think that the uh, headings were necessarily uh, inspired <laughs> by God. Uh, I think those were just added by the publishers uh, because sometimes we'll see different headings at the top of our Bibles or anything. Mine happens to say the revelation of the Saint John, of Saint John the Divine. Uh, I don't think that that was necessarily <laughs> how John actually wrote that out when he wrote the letters. But it does begin with the inspired scripture at the first part where it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation, or the revelation, the revelation, is not plural because it's not revelations over and over, or excuse me, it's not revelations that are different things that is happening over a long period of time. But this is speaking of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book is written not as a apocalyptic book to tell some futuristic story of what's going to happen in some antichrist dominated 
you know, 1978's A Thief in the Night movie type world, the Revelation was written as a comfort, as a warning, as a uh, uh, as an instruction for the churches at that time that John wrote them was instructions for them. And it was a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of the work of Jesus Christ and the people of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you notice in the first verse of chapter 1, it says, <coughs> it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent an uh, sent an and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So we see that this letter is written for a specific group of people at a specific time. And it is, you know, for them, for, for their comfort. Now we receive comfort, comfort from this. We glean information about Jesus Christ and about his work. And, uh, is there future things in, in this? I think there might be some future things in here, uh, as it, uh, uh, uh pertains to, uh, uh, the eternal state. Uh, however, uh, I believe that uh, uh, that the majority of what we see here are things that were about to take place, as it says here, things that were uh, 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 close at hand. The time is at hand. Um, but anyway, uh, I didn't mean to really get into all that other than the fact that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as we go into this, we have to understand that, and this would I would say this is for all the book of the Revelation, is it's primarily about Jesus Christ. We've seen this before. Uh, we've talked about this. The Bible says that in the volume of the book, uh, the, the, the whole thing of, of Genesis to Revelation that I just was praying about is about Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he, the Bible said that he opened up and from the Moses and the prophets, he spoke to them and he told them that these things were about him. All that stuff was about Jesus Christ. So whenever we look, the book of uh, the Revelation is no different. Uh, it is a revelation of who Jesus is. And so as we go into this, let's not overlook some of the little simplistic things that a lot of people like to jump over. Number one, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. But the other thing that we need to pay close attention to here and I think a lot of people miss this, is it says, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So what John is writing down that he saw in the in this whole uh, time in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, writing these things down, uh, was signified to him. Now it means that they was given to him in symbols, in foreshadows or in, in shadows it was given to him in types it was given to him in 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 symbolic language <coughs> and so many people want to just take literally everything 
that is in here, it wasn't intended to be literal because it was given to John in a signified way, in a symbolic way. And so that's why whenever you look into Revelation, you see all these this wild imagery of things and how things are described and how things are are uh, talked about in this in this apocalyptic language. It's because that was the intent. It was given to him in a signified way. And so whenever we approach uh, the Word of God, and it blatantly tells us at the very beginning that these things is the revelation of Jesus Christ given to us in a signified way, meaning in symbols, uh, symbology here, then we need to, as we go into interpreting the scriptures, as we go into uh, into our hermeneutics of, of preaching what is here, looking for Christ through the symbols, right? And so that's kind of what I'd like us to, to look at here this morning in verse two, uh, 17 of chapter 2. Now, my intent this morning is not to uh, back up and go through the history of what, it, what, this, what this particular verse itself is in context to necessarily, uh, it, you know, it's in, in a letter to the church of Pergamos, we know that. Uh, but I'm not going to go back. I'm not dealing with who all Pergamus was. I'm not dealing with all the stuff about the Nicolaitans and the Balaamites and all this kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not going through that. I just want to look at verse 17 and let's find Jesus there today, uh, if the Lord wills. Uh, let's look and see what it speaks about Christ and his people there. So let's look at verse 17. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Now, let's kind of just break this verse down and begin to think about these things again. Our minds going to this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's the revelation of not only who Jesus Christ is, but the work of Jesus Christ. And so, as we enter into this verse, let's look and see some of these nuggets that we can pull out of here. The first thing that kind of is very evident to me is number one is that it says that it is the Spirit that is saying these things to the churches. This is a teaching of the Spirit. This is something that only the Spirit is bringing to the churches. It's bringing it on behalf of God. God is bringing and, and having the Spirit come and teach. Now, we've, we've dealt with this a lot in, 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 over the years. And you know my position on things. I believe that the Holy Spirit is the teacher. It is the Spirit of God who teaches the heart of man. I'm up here preaching to you. I am conveying words to you. I am conveying, if if I am speaking according to the truth, I'm speaking truth. Okay? And if I'm speaking those things, then I am speaking the things that God has said, because the Bible says that this is the inspired Word. This is the words breathed out by God. So I'm speaking the words of God. But brethren, unless the Spirit takes... And, and gives to you in your heart the teaching of what these things are saying, then we can just amass head knowledge and with man's wisdom try to figure things 
out. It is the Spirit that says the things to His people. It is the Spirit that comes and takes the things of God and makes them real in the experience of the heart of the child of grace. And so we see here that it is the Spirit. John was the one who wrote the message, right? He's the one that penned this letter. But John writing the thing doesn't have any weight at all. Paul writing the letter. As good as Paul was and as great as Paul was as an apostle, it wasn't Paul. Paul wasn't inspired. The words of God are inspired. And Paul wrote those words down. A lot of times we say the inspired apostle. Well, that's not true. The Bible says that these are the inspired words of God. That all scripture is given by inspiration. Okay? They were breathed out by God. They were given by God. Paul wrote them down. Peter wrote them down. John wrote them down. Okay? Uh, those, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they wrote these things down. But the inspiration, the words were God's. They weren't Paul's. They weren't anybody else's. And I hear often that, uh, uh, that we should throw weight on the actual writer or the translator in that fact. That the translators were inspired. The translators weren't inspired. The word is inspired. The scripture is inspired. The translation is only as inspired as, as it is faithfully translated as God give it. Okay? It's, it's God's word and it's preserved for us, but it is the spirit of God that teaches that word. And so we see here, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith under the churches. Now, notice here it says churches plural, not church singular. These were written to local congregations. And we, a few years ago, we went and had a study. Matter of fact, it was a long study. I think we had like, I think 80 messages or something in there on the, on the church. And if you remember back in that study, I hope you remember, we see that the biblical definition of church is not the universal body of Christ or all the elect of God. That's not what the church is. The church is a local assembly. And when I mean local assembly, I mean a gathered assembly. Okay, I'm not meaning that we all have to be from the same town, the same neighborhood. I'm saying local in the fact that they are gathered together. They're not universal. They're not invisible. They're local. So whether it's somebody driving from Fairland or whether it's they're driving from Kansas or whether they're driving from Springfield or wherever to come to meet with us, the issue is that we are a gathered assembly. And you can't get something other than that from the scriptures. The word church means a gathered assembly. It's it's a body that comes together and I ain't going to go into all, all that and more in depth than that. But it is, if you notice here, it's what the Spirit says to the churches. And the churches, plural, are getting the same doctrine. Jesus gave to the church once, the one that he started, the New Testament church that he began. He gave them his doctrine, his ordinances. And he is perpetuating that throughout all the years. He has perpetuated that. And in every generation and in every age, we have had 
those New Testament churches that have been uh, in existence. They never did go out of existence. They never did go underground and cease to exist. Became some apostate church in, in the Catholics, and then all of a sudden, the good old Reformation guys saved the day by bringing us out of the Catholic apostasy. That is not what happened. The Lord has always had His churches, and those churches have always held to the doctrine of Christ and His ordinances. And those have been passed down from generation to generation to generation, and the Spirit speaks to those churches because He only meets with those types of churches. He only meets with the church of Jesus Christ. He doesn't meet with other things that are false gospels and false churches. If they are not the church that Jesus built, then they are not his church. Now why do I say that? Because there is a certain group of people that are found in this church. These people are God's people. These people are the ones who God has born from above. Churches are made up of not just everybody that comes and attends. The church is actually those who are born from above, those who have been given faith in Christ Jesus, who under that profession of faith in Christ Jesus, underneath that gospel of Jesus Christ, are then baptized by immersion in water, then they are gathered together and added to the membership of that church. And in covenant with that church, they meet together for worship, and they meet together for the declaration of the gospel. And so... The church that the Spirit comes to teach is the, is the church of Jesus Christ. So all these churches that are written about in Revelation were churches, were Christ's church. They all had problems, as we all have problems in all of our churches. We have, we have things that are lacking. But they were churches nonetheless. And so the Spirit has come, and the Spirit is saying something to the churches. Brethren, I pray that the Spirit continues to come and teach us here that we never will have our candlestick removed as some of these churches have. I pray that the Lord would keep us faithful, that He would keep us in the faith, as it said. Okay? So it's the Spirit that teaches. He comes and teaches to the churches. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. That's the gathered body, the elect of God who have gathered together. How does God preserve his words? He does that through the local churches. He does that through the saints of God who gather together, who God gives gifts to those churches in the form of pastors and teachers, who God gives an enabling or a gifting to preach the gospel, and that through their Worship and through their uh, 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 gathering together, they hold the faith of Christ. And that has been given once for all to the saints. And like I said, it's been perpetuated through all the years. And the Spirit doesn't teach other things other than the truth of what Christ is. He isn't teaching that Christ died for everybody and that anybody can come if they'll just choose to come 
and that if they sin too much, then God's going to be angry with them, and that they might lose their salvation, or that Christ died and it's all by grace, but you still have to continue to keep up all these works to be pleasing to God, he's not going to speak out of Two voices. He's not going to be speaking one thing over here. And so all these churches that are preaching all these things over here are saying, hey, listen, Jesus loves everybody. Jesus doesn't. If you're in one of those churches, you are not in a New Testament church. The Spirit is not speaking over there. And all the people that's out here today are talking about how the revivals that's going on and the Spirit of God is moving in all these places. Brethren, that is a work of Satan in all those places because if the truth is not there, if the doctrine is not there, the ordinances of God are not there, that is not the church of God. It is not the pillar and the ground of truth. Therefore, the Spirit is not speaking to them. Now, does that mean that there's not people of God that might be in them? There might be. We know that to be true. Jesus says in Revelation, Come out from among them, my people, out of the harlot. Them are harlot churches. Now, that's not Mike being harsh and calling everybody's church besides our church harlots. That's the word of God saying that if you're not a New Testament church, if you're not a church that is based upon the doctrine of Jesus Christ, and that means the gospel of sovereign grace. That means the gospel of imputed righteousness alone, without works, without any contribution on your behalf. The gospel of eternal election. The gospel of overcoming grace. The gospel of uh, effectual atonement. The gospel of perseverance by the Spirit of God. Whenever you preach those things, you're preaching the gospel and the doctrine of Christ. Whenever you preach those things, but if it's not that gospel, you're in another gospel church. And it's not a gospel. It's not a church. And the Spirit isn't there preaching. And that's why God is calling His people whenever He gives them the truth and grants them the repentance. They come out of those churches and they find and they locate and they begin to gather with people that believe the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, are there going to be nitpicky little things that we're going to disagree with? Yes, there are. Not all of us agree on uh, doctrine. Okay? Uh, on everything. Some of us disagree on eschatology. Some of us disagree on Adam and how he was made. And some of us disagree with, uh, with, uh, 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 uh you know, uh, several other things, but not to get into all that either. But <clears throat> it is the churches that the Spirit comes and speaks to. And that is why he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear. Remember that phrase was often used by Jesus. The only ones who have an ear to hear are those who have been made spiritual. Right? He who hath an ear to hear. Jesus spoke to uh, the crowd, and whenever he spoke, there were some that believed, and there were some that didn't believe. The ones who believed, believed, and Jesus said, the reason that they believe are because they are my sheep. You believe not because you are not my sheep. He also told them, you believe me not because you are not of God. If you're not of God, if you're not my sheep, you cannot hear what I say. The, the, the world cannot receive the things of the Spirit. The only one that can hear the things that the Spirit says are those who are born of God, born of the Spirit, taught of the Spirit. The sheep of God, 
the people of God, those who are born of above. They are the ones who have an ear to hear. So who is Jesus speaking to here? Whoever just can read this passage and say, hey, you know, I'm hearing this because there was a lot of people that heard Jesus, but they didn't believe. There was a lot of people that heard Jesus and Jesus said that he didn't entrust himself to them. Jesus preached and there was a bunch of people that didn't believe it and Jesus even prayed to the Father. He said, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, but have revealed them unto babes. See, Jesus is speaking to his people and his people only. That's why it's important to be part of a local church. That's why it's important together with brothers and sisters in Christ to be under the gospel ministry because it is a place where Christ has put his doctrine and put his ordinances of remembrance so that we might remember what Christ has done to uh, for us. And that through those things and through that fellowship, we are built up into a holy, uh, uh, righteous, and, and beautiful building. Now, he says here, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone. To him that overcometh. Now, there's a lot of people that's going to look at that and say, there you go. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get on out there. Put on that full armor of God and get to fighting Satan. Get to fighting the, the, the world system. Get out there and start fighting. Because you've got to get out there and overcome. If you don't overcome, you're not going to be given the hidden manna. You're not going to be given this stone. We'll talk about those in a minute, but they look at this as the duty that we must do to him that overcometh. But brethren, who is the one who overcomes? Who does the Bible tell us are the overcomers? And how are they overcomers? Well, look with me if you would, and I want us to, to notice a, a couple of things here. But turn with me to John chapter 16. We need to let the Bible interpret itself. John chapter 16. And look with me, if you will, at verse 33. John 16 and verse 33. Now this is uh, Jesus speaking here. Matter of fact, I'll just back up uh, to verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace in the world. Ye have, uh, have peace, excuse me. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, first and foremost, we see the overcomer is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is He who has overcome the world. It is He who has overcome Satan. It is He who has overcome our sin. 
sin, death, the world, Satan, our nature, everything that hinders us, everything that plagues us, everything that is against the child of grace, Christ has overcome. He has put down Satan. He has put down sin. He has put down death. He has put down the world. He is the king of kings. There is nothing in this world that is over him. He has bound Satan hand and foot. Nobody can do anything that God is not predestined or made to do, caused to do. Everything that happens in this world happens because of the governorship of Jesus Christ. He has overcome everything. Nothing has defeated Him. Nothing can defeat Him. Nothing bewilders Him. Nothing catches Him off guard. Nothing has sidetracked Him. Nothing has kept Him from doing His, his, uh, uh, his uh, uh, obedience to the Father. All those things that we see that Christ was given to do, He came and completed. He said it is finished. And whenever He said it is finished, He not only said it was finished because it was accomplished, He said it is finished. All things have been put under My feet, and I rule and reign. The Bible says that whenever He rose from the grave, and that He ascended upon high, it said He sat down at the right hand of God. It means that He is... At God's right arm. That means that He is God's power. He is God's strong hand. He is the messenger of God. He is the actor of God. He is the one who does all the work of God. It is God indwelling the man, Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, everything that God is, the fullness of Him, all the work of God is through Jesus Christ. And that's to His people because Christ is the mediator between God and man. Anything that we have in our experience and relationship to God, we have it because of Jesus Christ. And everything that we know of God and learn of God and experience of Him and His blessings upon us as His people is because of the mediator, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the overcomer. He has overcome the problem between us and God. He has bridged the gap of that. He has brought peace and reconciliation to God. There is no more, no uh, uh, division. There is no more enmity with us and God because Jesus Christ has overcome the problem of sinful man and God who is holy. He's overcome that for us. Jesus is the overcomer of all things. He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome but notice if you would there, he said, These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. See, brethren, because we are in Christ Jesus, we too have been made overcomers. Because we are in Him, because we are His children, because we are owned by Him, because He is our substitute, we are overcomers. We have overcome the world. We have overcome sin. We have overcome Satan. We have overcome our flesh. We have overcome the, the, the problem in this world, which is we are sinners. God is holy. We can't get to God because we have no holiness, but we do it all because we are in Christ Jesus, not because we are in and of ourselves. <clears throat> we are overcomers because we are united to Christ himself. 
Christ is the chief overcomer. And we are overcomers by airship. We are overcomers by substitute. See, I can't go out there and obey enough to overcome the world. I can't overcome Satan. I can't overcome my sin. I can't overcome this flesh and cease to sin. But Christ has overcome all that. And because we are in Christ, we too have overcome that. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Sin has been overcome. The law and its and its uh, and, and its uh, uh, thundering uh, 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 um, its thundering demands against us. It's all overcome. Death. Oh, death! Where is thy sting? Oh, grave! Where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. If Christ has taken away our sin, the sting of death is gone. He has given us eternal life, and we shall never perish. Death is no longer a problem to the child of grace. We have overcome death. But it's not because we chose it. It's not because we have done enough to merit it. It's not because we have done enough that God says, okay, enter in and here's your... No. It's all because Jesus did it. And the only reason we got it is because God gave us to Jesus and united us to Him and we are His. That's, that's the only reason. That's the only reason. Look with me, if you would, now at 1 John. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 5. See, we see that Jesus was the overcomer. And we are overcomers because we are born from Him. We are His seed. Like begets like, right? <laughs> that principle that we always talk about back in Genesis, that everything was created with its seed in itself and it reproduced after its kind. We are the seed of Christ. We are His generation. We are His progeny. We are His lineage. Therefore, we are made after His likeness. Right? Look at 1 John 5 and verse 4. It says, for whatsoever is born of God, and that's all the people of God, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now is that talking about our faith that we exercise? No, who's our faith? Jesus Christ. He's our faith. Jesus Christ is our faith. See, our faith can't do anything. Our faith is small. If our faith was as the faith of a mustard seed, we could move mountains. But our faith isn't nothing. We have nothing. We can't do anything. Why? Because not all men have faith. And faith that we have is only given by measure. But Christ, He has the Spirit without measure. And He was our faith on our behalf before God. His faith, His faithfulness, is what give us everything. Our justification is by His faith. Our sanctification was by His faith. Everything that we have is because of the faith of Jesus Christ. It is the faith of Jesus Christ, not faith in Jesus Christ, that we have been given all these promises. 
that we have received of all these things. And he says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth Him that begat loveth Him also that is begotten. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is born of God is the Christ, is born of God. For whoever is born of God overcometh the world. Who are the ones that overcometh the world? Not the ones who work hard, but the ones who have been born of God. Is it because they worked hard? No, it's because they are born of God. Because they have the overcomer as their father. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Not because he believeth. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Not because he is an overcomer because he believed that Jesus is the Son of God. But the one who believed that Jesus is the Son of God is the description of who the overcomer is. The believers. The believers are the overcomers. Not because they believe, but because they were born of the one who has faith. They are children of faith. That's why there is this example, this symbol of Abraham as our father in the faith. That's a picture of Christ and his children. Who had faith? Abraham had faith. All his children, if you're a child of Abraham, you will have faith. Why? Because your father had faith. And if you're a child of your father, you will have the likeness of your father. It's a picture of Christ. Christ has faith. And we have faith because He has faith. It's a description. That's why we are called the faithful. Are we actually faithful? No. We sin. We lose faith. I may get up in the morning as I did this morning and the Word of God was just teeming in my head. I was excited about coming to preach this morning. I was ready to to speak about these things that the Lord had laid them on my mind. And listen, everything was great. But you know what? This afternoon, that faith may be like this. I may feel like next week, I may get up and I'm like, it's just going to be duty for me to get up here to, to say something because I really don't feel like being here. We are not faithful the only one that's faithful is Christ. So who are the overcomers? The overcomers are the ones who are born of God, born of the faithful, who is Christ. Now turn back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. So who is the Spirit speaking to? He's speaking to the churches. Who are the ones in the churches? The ones who overcome. Who are the ones who overcome? The ones who have been born of God who are the children of the overcomer who is faithful. It says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. What is the hidden manna? We're here today gathered as the church. What's the hidden manna? what's been dishing out to you all this morning. The hidden manna is Christ Himself. The hidden manna, who is it that Jesus feeds His people with? 
himself. Now, again, this is an illusion that goes all the way back to the Old Testament whenever God fed Israel as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God fed them on manna. God rained bread out of heaven. And they were to gather this bread, and they were to gather just enough for them to eat for that day, and no more. If they gathered any more than what they needed for that day, it would go bad on them. It would go putrid. And that illusion or the illustration of that is, is to teach us that God gives us every day that we are to live on Christ every day. See, they wanted to work and store up for themselves. And that's exactly what happened. The people got afraid that, is this enough? I don't know if this is enough. So let me grab more. So by their labor, they went out and got more. And they tried to store it up. So just in case that God, what God said is true, isn't going to take place, I'll have some here and my family will be secure. We'll have something to eat tomorrow just in case God doesn't do it tomorrow. If God doesn't rain it down tomorrow, everybody's going to be hungry except for us. See, they, by their own works, tried to provide for themselves. The age-old story of the warfare between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is always wanting to provide a righteousness that God is going to accept. Is going to provide for himself. I can do it myself. I can be like God. But see, God said, only take enough for today. I will provide everything that you need. I will give you everything that you need. I don't have to buck up and say, I'm determined that I'm going to be, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to be duteous, I'm going to, you know, overcome, I'm going to do all these things. I don't have to do that. God is going to supply everything. His mercies are new every day. He renews the mind every day. Every day, He supplies everything that we have need of. Not just in the physical, material things, but in the spiritual realm. Everything that we have need of, He provides. And that hidden manna is not food that we eat like breakfast and lunch and dinner. It is a spiritual food. It is the food for the soul. He gives himself. He is that hidden manna. In Exodus, whenever we read of all this going on with the manna, we see that's a picture of Jesus. He said, I am all that you need. And brethren, listen. When it comes to the gospel, Jesus is all we need. We feast upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, not the commands of the law. Not the duties given to man, whether they are Old Testament or New Testament. That is not the rule of life that we live by. We live by the faith of Jesus Christ, what He has done for us. Now, with that being said, I'm not saying that the Spirit isn't going to do works in us. He's not going to, he's going to do the spiritual works that God has ordained for us to do in us. But it is not my place or responsibility to pressure or push or Say, this is what the Spirit's going to do in my life. He's going to do it in His timing. He's going to do it His way. He's going to do it as He sees fit, as God has purposed for me to experience. Some days I will experience fruitfulness. Some days I might not experience fruitfulness so that I might be humbled by the fact that I cannot do anything for God and once again be reminded to look. Thankfully, Christ has done it all for me. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, but also the one who has done it all, our substitute. <clears throat> That's the hidden manna. The hidden manna is Jesus. Now, just to 
show that the scripture teaches us that uh, that Jesus is this man that we see uh, very well in John chapter 6 if you want to turn to John chapter 6 which is a very famous chapter of John John chapter 6 look at verse 26 it said Jesus answered them and said verily verily I say unto you Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat the loaves and were filled. See, they were following Jesus because Jesus fed 5,000 people. He ate the loaves and fed them all. They were following Him because of that. He says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth. Now, what is He talking about there? Well, He could also be talking about physical food. Okay? You guys are worried about these physical miracles but those, are, those physical miracles are going to fade away. That's not the important thing here. The miracles are to testify of who I am, but the whole purpose is, is who am I? <laughs> who do you say I am? Do you believe that I am the Christ? The ones who believed were of God. The ones who didn't were not of God. But again, the meat that perisheth, not just the physical, but the spiritual as well. Remember? The manna, if they gathered too much by the hands of their own effort, what happened? But if they gathered just enough as God provided for them that day, it didn't go bad. See, Jesus is, is comparing Himself to that illusion. He says, Labor not for the meat which perish, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For Him hath God the Father sealed. Look at here. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden man. See? Scriptures are consistent. It's Christ. And who does Christ give? He gives himself to his people. If you look down a little bit further, Jesus said in verse 32, Verily, verily, I say to you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. See, the bread that comes down from heaven, the manna, the hidden manna, is Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He, he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not amongst yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which come down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, 
which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus said in verse 53, Verily, verily, I said unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink <clears throat> indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, and even he shall live by me. <clears throat> this is the bread which come down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So we see that Jesus is the manna that is spoken of here. But it says it's the hidden manna. Why is it the hidden manna? Well, as we just seen in that chapter right there, that... This manna is not revealed to everybody. For one, it is in heaven. And it has come down. And it is given for His people. But we also see that it is hidden in the aspect that the natural man cannot perceive these things. See, they cannot perceive the spiritual food that comes from Christ alone. Christ alone. See, the preaching that we preach here of Christ alone without works... Imputed righteousness alone. Sovereign grace. This is not sustenance. And listen, go into the churches that are out there. Well, look at our church, for example. Look how many people have come and gone. Look how many people have come. And it's not satisfying. We don't have a basketball gym. We don't have an entertainment center. We don't have a big screen. We don't have rock and roll music. We don't have lights. And we don't have fog. And we don't have different colored... Uh, tapestries and we don't have a steeple and we don't have crosses and we don't have pictures of Jesus and we don't have all this see Christ isn't enough they don't want to hear and come come and hear Christ only and whenever you begin to preach this doctrine of Christ what happens immediately they don't like to hear that they don't want to hear that they want to gather around them teachers that their itching ears want to say Pick yourself up by your bootstrap. Get out there and work for Jesus. Do your best. Increase your faith. Show your faith to the world. Show everybody how good you are, how great you are, how faithful you are to your Lord. Wear it on your shirt. Wear it on your hat, on your wrist, wherever you can wear it. Put it on the bumper sticker on your car. Get out there and tell everybody how great you are. Declare your alms before men. But Jesus said this man is hidden. Not everybody's going to see it. Not everybody's going to find nourishment from it. Jesus said, this is the true bread from heaven. You ate the bread and are eating the bread that perisheth. See, the brethren of Christ that come out are coming out of those churches because just like us, we're not being fed with the gospel. We're not being fed by the words of Christ that says it's finished. Everything has been done for you. The people that are in there that want to hear, you still got to do this. You still got to do that. Keep up good deals and, and keep up good works and keep up, you know, faithfulness and, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're in there for religion. Pride is puffing up. Boasting is able to be done because they are accomplishing what they think is righteousness. 
but they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. They are feeding off of something that is not the true bread of heaven. But the people of God, they desire the true bread from heaven. And whenever they are in those types of churches, they are being fed. And they begin to spiritually feel agitated in the soul because they're hungry. You know, whenever you get hungry and your stomach starts to growl and everything, you can get a little agitated. Man, I'm hungry. I'm something to eat. Whenever somebody is spiritually hungry, sometimes they get a little spiritually agitated. I can't stand this no more. I've got to get out of here. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. It's ain't food. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. And to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Oh, brethren, if you're not eating on the hidden manna, you're eating food that perisheth. And will give him a white stone. What's this mean? Now, if you look up this in all the commentators, there's a lot of things that are being said about this. Giving him a white stone. One of the most prevailing things that is found uh, in this is that this stone was something that they used to give people uh, in the games whenever they would win a tournament or win something they would give them a white stone and they would engrave their name on that stone and they would give that to them. And that stone that they were given, that they could take that and go around to that town and that, that city and that stone was their ticket to get in to whatever they wanted to get into. If you wanted to get into some fancy feast that was going on, you showed them that, they would let you in. If you wanted to come to some theatrical thing to watch, they would give you that stone. You could, or they would show you that stone. They would let you in. Why? Because that stone showed everybody who you were. Okay, and so that was their entrance in to fellowships, into parties, into dinners, and specifically, it was given to show entrance into. A banquet. Now I thought that was quite uh, quite amazing when I read that, because we know that the children of God have been invited to a what marriage supper, a marriage supper of the Lamb, a banquet. And what does it take to get into that banquet? In the story of the marriage supper. There were people that was invited whenever they come. There was a man who showed up and he came and he did not have a garment. He did not have a banquet garment. And they tossed him out and they said, you can't come in, you don't have a garment on. Now what was that garment representing? He didn't have a righteous robe. He didn't have a robe that was white. See, to get in, you have to have a marriage garment. The marriage garment is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The marriage garment is Christ. We put on Christ. His righteousness is our robe. Now, here, it's called a stone. What is our entrance into the banquet? The righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is our banquet. Or excuse me, is our entrance into the banquet. 
How do we get in? We get in because we have that righteousness. It's not ours. It's His. But we have been clothed with that. Well, looky here. The other reason that that stone was given or was signified in old days was that stone was given. There was a black stone or there was a white stone. You were given a white stone in a court of law if the charges that were brought against you and before the court of law you were found acquitted. If you were found acquitted, they give you a white stone. Whenever you went out, everybody knew I was acquitted of all my crimes, of everything that was against me. I was acquitted. The black stone was you were guilty and that you were blackballed. You were blacklisted. You were given judgment. But the white stone represented acquittal. It represented acceptance back into the society. It represented justification. Well, brethren, you only get justification because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The white representing the righteousness of Christ, the stone representing the justification. The righteousness of Jesus Christ giving to us justification. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him my righteous justification. My righteousness, so thereby you will be justified before men. The stone was the symbol that I have been acquitted. The Bible says that that in that day that all creation will be standing there and that that those who are on the right hand will be cast into everlasting darkness because they will be judged because they tried to provide their own righteousness and always fell short. But on the other, the Bible says that these have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. They have overcome sin and death that is going to be the, the fate of all these people over here is eternal death, but these have overcome death. Why? By the blood of the Lamb. By the righteousness of Christ Jesus on their behalf. And they stand there robed, not in their own robes, not holding a stone that they earned, but a stone that was given to them. And that stone of white represents that they have been acquitted. Yes, they were just like every one of these by nature, but they have been acquitted of all these crimes because this mediator has robed them in his righteousness has died for their sins and paid for their penalties and has obeyed the fullest of the law for them, therefore, they are called the righteous. You say, well, I don't know about that. Are we called the righteous? Well, look at the next part of the verse. He says, I will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. Now, there's a lot of speculation about what that no, uh, new name written means, and, and I may be wrong about this. Uh, there is a place that speaks of uh, Jesus Christ, and he had a name written that no man knew except him. But here, this is speaking of Jesus giving us something, and that the one who is receiving it receives the, name, the stone with a name that no one knows. <clears throat> and if it's keeping in connection with the imagery of that stone in the past that was given 
as an entrance that had their name written on it to give them entrance into the banquets. If it's in connection with the stone that was given to them as a signification that they have been acquitted of their crimes, then I would hearken back to this passage. Turn with me, if you would, to Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33. And look with me, if you would, at verse 16. Or, or excuse me, uh, verse 14. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah, speaking of God's people. In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David. Now the branch of righteousness, the branch of David is speaking of Jesus Christ. Okay? So the branch of righteousness is Jesus Christ. I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved. And Jerusalem, another name for the people of God. Okay, Jerusalem is, is another name. Zion, Jerusalem. Uh, that's all uh, Judah. That, these are all Israel. This is all names that are given to illustrate spiritually the people of God, the elect of God. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And now listen to this. Pay close attention to what is said here. <clears throat> And this is the name wherewith she shall be called. Not Jesus be called. Now, Jesus definitely is called the righteous branch here, right? He's called the righteous one. He is righteous. That is his name. But it says here that she, speaking of Jerusalem, the people of God, and this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. See, this is the name that she shall be called. The Lord our righteousness. We have been given a new name. We have been given righteous. But not because we've been righteous. See, it's His name, but it's written on us. Because God doesn't accept anything but what His Son does. See, God doesn't accept us as we are. You hear that in churches all, all, all the time. God will accept you any way that you are. Well, God doesn't save you on you cleaning up your lifestyle or cleaning up your stuff like that. God doesn't save you on merits of that. But God is not looking at you and determining whether or not you know, I am going to save this person because they're so good or this person because they're, you know, faithful or anything like that. God doesn't, God doesn't do, doesn't do that. He doesn't accept you as you are. He doesn't save you as you are. He saves you on the account of Christ. See, that's why we say it doesn't matter how bad you are or how good you are. It doesn't matter. Because your good or bad doesn't determine whether or not you're the elect of God and are the recipients of Christ's death. 
That's why Romans 9 said to boys, whether or not they had done anything good or bad, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. He said unto Jacob, I have loved you, and Esau, I have not loved you. What was it? Was it because Jacob was Jacob? No, Jacob was a surplanter. Jacob was just as sinful as Esau. It had nothing to do whether they were good or bad. It had to do with God's choice. God chose Jacob. God loved Jacob. Jacob was loved because of Christ. We are loved because of Christ. And so our name, whenever we come before God, the robe that is there that God sees and accepts is a robe that is not our robe. Adam came with his own fig leaves and God didn't accept that. He came robed with the robe that God gave him. We come robed in a robe that was given to us. We come with a name that is given to us that is not our name. Our name is not righteousness, but our name has been made righteousness. We have taken on that name. My thought goes back to adoption. The Bible speaks that we are adopted sons of God. Right? We are adopted. Well, what happens in adoption? Adoption is when someone else's kid is abandoned by their family and has no parents and some other parents come and say, I want to adopt you. I want to bring you home and you will be my son now. Even though you're not really my son, I want to bring you home and make you my son. And whenever they do that, they go to the legal proceedings that allow them to change that kid's name to whatever the parent is that adopted them. That child now takes on the name of the one who Adopted them. Well, brethren, if we are the, the adopted of God, God has given us His name. The Lord, our righteousness. He's given us this name. Uh, another verse that kind of comes to my mind about the name being written on us is in, uh, turn with you quickly to Revelation 14. Revelation 14, just a couple of things here and I'll be done. Revelation chapter 14. Look at verse 1. It says, And I look, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred forty and four thousand, having their, his father's name written in their foreheads. Their father's name was written in their foreheads. Now, I know this isn't a stone unless we talk about, you know, I got, I'm hard-headed or whatever. But, I know this isn't, but look again at the imagery. The name was written on them. They were marked gods. They were marked righteous. They were marked the, per, the one of God. This is my possession. See, this is in con, contra, no, contrast to the mark of the beast. Those who worship the beast and the beast system, they have his mark. Now everybody in the world, for some reason, because of all the stupid 
prophecy teachers that are out there thinks that this mark is a physical mark on the right hand or a physical mark on the forehead that they're going to take by some antichrist that's going to come and force everybody to get a computer chip in their hand or a computer chip on their forehead or some tattoo. Back in the 70s, it was a tattoo. There's going to be a tattoo on your forehead and a tattoo on your hand. Now, in this day and age, it's an electronic device that they're putting out now that has all your information that you can scan and buy your food and you can sell stuff and buy stuff and just like the... Just like all the stuff in Revelation tells us that we're going to can't buy and sell without that chip and everything. That that's the mark of the beast. Rather than the mark of the beast is allegiance to Satan and his system. It's allegiance to the world. It's anti-Christ. The beast and the beast system, the mark of the beast is the, is this is the children of Satan and this is the children of God. Jesus, whenever he looked, he knew those who were his and those who were not his. He knew those who would believe him and who would not believe him. Why? Because these are my sheep. These are the children of Satan. He knew that. Why? Because his name is written in their foreheads. My name is written in their foreheads. What does that mean? We honor and praise and worship and, and, and believe upon Christ. Those who don't, are not Christ. They don't have Christ written in their forehead. They don't have Christ in their heart. They don't have Christ given to them with ears to hear. That's the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is those who are going to follow after the non-gospel, the anti-God. And listen, it's happening today in droves. I mean, look at this supposed revival thing that swept the, the, this world out of this stupid thing in Kentucky that wasn't even a real revival. I know that there's probably people that are going to dog day about that all the day long, but there was no gospel there. They were they were performing things in that meeting that was against the biblical mandate for uh, how a church service should be run. There were women preachers. There was all kinds of stuff that was going on that shouldn't. They had homosexuals leading in the worship. It's not... A revival or work or move of God as far as salvific thing that's taking place. <clears throat> they don't have God's name written in their heart. They have Satan's who comes disguised as a messenger of light. And see, I think a lot of the elect of God sometimes will get wrapped up in these things that we see like that because our heart yearns to see stuff like that. We yearn to see our country turn to God. We yearn to see that our leaders lead under the, 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 the influence of God's Word. We desire to see those types of things. And so whenever we see what looks to be maybe God doing a work here, like we so, so badly would like to see that. But brethren, it doesn't happen whenever it's lies about Christ. It doesn't happen whenever it is something that is going on that is anti-Christ. The people that have the name, the white stone, the ones that receive the hidden manna, they are the ones who uh, who have been born of God, the overcomers. Now lastly, it says, which no man knoweth except him that receiveth. Now, what does that mean? Which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. 
Now, I was talking with another brother about this um, a couple of days ago, actually, and why the Lord kind of spurred me to speak about this. That word he there is not talking about a specific person that he refers back to the overcomer at the beginning of the verse. That word he is generic. It means, it's just talking about the person that is the overcomer who eats of the hidden manna who receives the white stone with the written name. <coughs> that's the he that's in, in view here. Now look with me there. No man, which no man knoweth, okay, this name, this stone, this hidden man, all these things, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. You notice that it said that he received it. He didn't buy it. He didn't go work for it. So he didn't earn it. it. He received it. It was given to him freely. It was given to him without him asking. It was given to him undeserving. Which no man knoweth, saving he. That word knoweth is not talking about cognitive understanding. Why is... And this goes back to where I started at the very beginning, and hopefully everybody's followed me from that. At the very beginning, remember what we talked about? Who is the one who hears? The one that has the Spirit. The one who the Spirit of God is in. The one who has a relationship in Christ Jesus united to Christ. The one united to Christ. We have a relationship. That word knoweth there throughout the scriptures is often used to speak of an intimate relationship. We hear in the Bible that Mary knew not a man. She had was found with child even though she knew not a man. What does that mean? It means that she had not had an intimate uh, sexual relationship with a man. Jesus said in Matthew 7, you know, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Jesus knew them. He created them, right? Jesus knew them because he knows all things. He's omniscient. He's God. But what did Jesus mean? Jesus meant, I never knew you. I never set my love upon you. I never united you to myself. There is not this familial, family relationship between me and you. You are not my seed. I never knew you. I never had relationship with you. And see, we don't make relationship with God. Okay? Everyone always talks about how Christianity, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, I agree in the fact that it's relationship. We have to be related to Him. We have to be His seed. If you're not His seed, it's about seed. It's not about how we act. It's not about how we interact with Him. It's not about how devoted we get to Him in a relationship. And everyone's always talking about it's relationship, relationship. You gotta read your Bible, you gotta pray, you gotta study, you gotta obey, you gotta do all these things to enhance your relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't come down to that, it comes down to relationship in its most simple form. Are you a child of God? If you're a child of God, you have the faith of God. If you have the faith of God, the faith of God will trust Christ always for their salvation. They will come to Christ. They will believe upon Christ. They will find their 
food in Christ. They will find that they, before God, are only righteous because of Christ. They will wear the robe and they will say the name, but it will be the name of their Savior. The relationship is there. Those who know Him, we know Him, not know of Him or know about Him, we know Him. We have an intimate relationship that has been formed because the very God of heaven is in us by His Spirit. We have a relationship in the fact that we are His progeny, we are His children. Not somebody who made a choice to give our allegiance to this guy. I know a lot of men who gave their allegiance to the army who in turn turned around and went AWOL because they wanted to get out of that place. Who got scared. Who turned around and didn't want to have part of it. Or maybe saw corruption in it and got out of it. But brethren, we don't join ourselves and give allegiance to Jesus just because we want to join the army. No, we are a family. We are His seed. We are His children. And we know Him and He knows us. Last verse, Luke chapter 10, verse 22. Luke chapter 10. And verse 22. says, all things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is. Here we go. Here we're speaking about this. No one know who the Son is, but the Father, and who the Father is, but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Isn't that what Revelations is saying? Isn't that what the book of Revelation says? The ones who overcome, the ones who eat of the hidden manna, the ones who are given a white stone, the ones who are who know the name that has been written, no man knoweth except he that receiveth it. And who do they receive it from? They received it from him, the one whose name is written, the Lord our righteousness. All right, does anybody have any... Questions? Comments? Let's go to the room. Father, once again, we are overwhelmed by the validity of the Scriptures and the testimony that it speaks of who Christ Jesus is and who we are in Him and the glorious gospel of the salvation that we have in and through Him. And Father, thank You for once again giving us Your Word We pray that your spirit has been with us and taught us today. I pray that this has been edifying to your people. And Father, Lord, we are so grateful once again for all the blessings of life that you've given to us. For that white robe, for that white stone, for that hidden manna, for that name that no man can can know except those to whom has received it. And Lord, we are thankful that we have received it by your hand, if we be yours. So, Father, Lord, we just are, again, once again, humbled by your grace. And we pray today, Lord, that you'd be with us as we leave, that we might continue to feast upon these things. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.